All right, here we go. We're going to jump in to another week, week number three of Kingdom Manifesto. Uh, in case you are new here or maybe first time in a while, I kind of want to bring you up to speed with where we're at. We are going through the book of Matthew, chapter 5 through 7. We actually started last year in the Beatitudes, which is the beginning of chapter 5, and we're going to go all the way through chapter 7, and that is going to be until the end of May. And for some of you, you're like, wow, that sounds super exciting. Um, It is actually, because uh, it's fun to walk through the Bible pretty much verse by verse or section by section, and because this is what happens. A lot of times, we kind of gloss over things. And whenever we gloss over scriptures, we're glossing over the word of God. And every word matters. Every story matters. Every book matters. And so we, uh, sometimes we do topical messages that are, you know, again, just kind of topics and, and we'll talk about those things. But sometimes we walk straight through books of the Bible or, or certain chapters of the Bible. And that's what we're doing. Uh, the, the book of Matthew chapter 5 through 7 is called the Sermon on the Mount. It's Jesus' first fully recorded sermon. And uh, which I think is extremely important and special because of what he's actually communicating. There was a lot of people who were following Jesus because he did a lot of miracles and he did a lot of good stuff and he taught pretty, you know, he had authority when he taught. And they were more like intrigued by him. And so they were following him, but they weren't following him like in their heart. They, They weren't quite there yet. And so Jesus finally, he's got this big crowd of people and he, and he finally just decides to at least I imagine it, sort of draw a line in the sand and say, hey guys, I know that you call yourselves my followers, but I want to explain to you what it really means to actually be a follower of Jesus. Not just culturally, it's not just a, like Jesus was sort of trending, okay? He was, he was trending in that area because he was doing a lot of cool stuff. And he's like, I'm not a trend, <laughs> I'm God, and he's like, I am re- I'm establishing the kingdom of God. And I want to communicate to you the heart of God and what it's like to live in the kingdom of God. And so for us, it's the same thing. Jesus is communicating to us what it actually means to be, for us, we would call it a Christian, right? Now, now we live in a, a Christian culture. We live in a, a, a cultural, like, especially down here, more than not, a lot of people have some sort of background or they would call themselves a Christian, but the lifestyle doesn't support that. You know what I'm saying? The lifestyle, it, it's just not there. So we want to kind of uh, receive from this just as much as maybe the Jews did or the Gentiles did at the time. Because Jesus is talking to a bunch of different people. If you guys remember, he's talking to Jews who have been raised up in this society and this cultural mindset of the law. And then uh, you got the Gentiles who are the opposite of that. You got religious leaders who are teaching the law and who have actually kind of raised the standard of the law uh, in their own way to kind of gain from it. And so Jesus is, he's combing some hair out. You know what I'm saying? He's combing some hair out. There's some issues going on. So do you guys hear, I have to stop. Do you guys hear something? Yeah. No, is it like, it's like the pad on? It's like the, are the tracks on? No? Man, y'all don't hear it? Okay, I got to ring it in my ear then. It's like, ooh. No, tonight it's higher, I think. Anyway. It's really weird. Maybe it's the wind blowing over here somewhere, but. I'll just, I'll just, I'll just bear with it and keep going. So maybe it's the fans. Yeah, no, it's not the fans. There's something else. Anyway, it doesn't matter. You guys are good. Everybody's good. I'm just going to keep rolling, man. My ears need to pop or something. I need to hold my nose and blow, you know. Anyway, 
So the heart of the kingdom of God. Matthew chapter 5 verse 17 is a very important verse, especially for this first month. It says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And we've been using this as sort of a template for the last few weeks because Jesus is talking about the law. And, and, and if you'd like a little bit more explanation about the, what the law is, go back to the first week and, and, and listen to that message because I, I can't restate all of those things. But if you don't understand the law, the Torah, the first five books of the Bible and how that really how the Jews looked at that, what Jesus is talking about whenever he says these things, then you're missing a large component of the Bible. You're missing a large component of, of what was going on in this time. And so, uh, but Jesus is wanting to communicate the heart or the spirit of the law, not the letter of the law. Okay, we talked about the speed limit. You know, why do we go 15 miles an hour in a subdivision, or some of us do, versus, you know, 70 miles an hour? It's a, there's an appropriate place for you to go a certain speed limit. That is the spirit of the law, because the spirit of the law, the heart of the law, is that we would go appropriate speed limits to not hurt people, to provide a safe culture. Jesus is communicating the heart of the law, why the law is there, but he's also raising the standard of the law, but not like the Pharisees did. And so today we're going to talk about the heart of integrity. Last week was a pretty tough week in regards to what the Bible said, what Jesus said to us. He talked about divorce, and, uh, and, and, and today he actually kind of continues that conversation in regards to vows and oaths, because that's what marriage is. It's a covenant between two people, and so he's, he sort of continues this conversation on about oaths and vows. I'm going to use oath and vows sort of like interchangeably. Uh, there's a little bit of nuance there, but we're just going to kind of use them as the, pretty much the same thing today. So verse 33 says this, again, you have heard that it was said of those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. Again, Jesus is referring to the Old Testament. And uh, these are the scriptures that he's actually referring to. Scriptures like this, Leviticus 19, 12, you shall not swear by my name falsely and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. Number 30, if a man vows a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. Deuteronomy 5.11 says, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. This is talking about oaths and vows, using the name of God in vain in in regards to making a pledge Okay, using God, I, I, I vow by God to do this and not following through, using God's authority in, in, uh, in vain. But what is the big deal with vows and oaths? Like what is, what's the big deal, right? And I think we need to kind of learn a little bit about what it meant in their culture. But when it comes to oaths and vows, when someone makes an oath, it's commitment to truth. Okay, it's, it's not just empty words, it's commitment to truth. And that person is calling on God to witness and hold them accountable to that truth. Does that make sense? So I'm committing to truth and I'm also calling on God to be a witness to that truth. And an oath calls on God to display his justness to see it fulfilled. We learned a couple years ago about the attributes of God. And one of his attributes is that he is just. And so whenever we vow by God, we're calling on him to, to, to you know, almost hold us accountable to that. And so, so it's, it's not just empty words, it's a big deal. And it wouldn't be just just for him to judge an unfulfilled vow because a vow is a commitment to truth. And so God is just 
and he must uphold justness. And so it would actually be unjust for him to not hold someone to account for making a commitment to truth. Does that make sense? So again, it's not empty words. These things really matter. He goes on verse 34. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. To which you're like, what is he talking about? Do you guys ever read scriptures and and honestly think that? Now, how many of you honestly stop and do a small study on that? Okay, okay, it's, it's, it's good, it's good, about, about seven of us. <laughs> How many of you say, okay, go into the next verse, All right, the rest of us? <laughs> How many of you never read your word? Anyway, we read scriptures and we just gloss over, we're not going to do that. What is Jesus talking about here? Well, again, he, he says, You've heard it in the days of old. You've heard it back then. And now I say to you. So whenever he says, uh, but I say to you, he's like, now from this time forward, let's, let's really talk about what we're going to do. He's correcting their flippant oath making. Last week we talked about how Jesus was correcting the flippancy in which people got married and divorced. Right? People would get divorced. Some men would divorce their wives because they like, didn't cook the food good or whatever. Or I heard one say because, because uh, the woman was loud. I'm going to leave that alone. But uh, people would get divorced for, for, for dumb reasons. They were flippant with this vow that they had made one to another. And so Jesus is doing the same thing here with oaths and vows in general. And uh, he's correcting. They, they sort of had this classification system. There were certain oaths that were binding and certain... certain <sighs> There were certain oaths that were binding and certain oaths that were not. There we go. Right? And uh, they would sort of circumvent those oaths in some weird ways. Uh, Like, for instance, they would go to make a pledge or whatever, and they just would leave God's name out of it to where they couldn't be held accountable to the judgment of God being punished for taking an oath in his name and not fulfilling it. Right? So they would just leave God's name out. Uh, There's there's another thing that they would do. <laughs> they would, if they, <laughs> if they pledged on their hair, and they couldn't follow through, they would just, just shave the hair. You know, I, I vow on my hair that I will. Well, I can't fulfill it if the hair's not there anymore, right? Uh, things like that, and they would, they would, they would just kind of circumvent it so they weren't bound to them, and then they weren't bound to God's judgment. So. People would swear by other things, and this is where this verse comes in. They would swear by other things, heaven, earth, maybe something they owned themselves, their kid, their wife, I don't know. They would swear on other things. And Jesus is like, do you realize that whenever you swear on anything, you're actually swearing by God because those things come from God? There's nothing that was created by, that, that, that was not created by God. And so therefore, you, you, you swear on heaven. That's God's throne, Right? You, you, you swear on, on earth, that's his footstool. You swear by your hair. You can't even control what happens with your hair. You don't know whether it's going to go gray or white. You don't have no fallout. You have no idea. You can't control that. You know, he's like, that don't, don't make oaths on the, these things. He's pointing out that everything is God's. And so 
God is present for every promise. Every promise that you make, he's present. So that's what they were doing. But we do the same thing. We do the same thing in a little bit different way, right? We use words like promise or contract or commitment, right? We use these words. And promises really don't matter much anymore, right? We, we just cross our fingers behind our back. I, I promise, like, what is, I don't know what that is, but it doesn't do anything, you know? I have my, I have my fingers crossed. Contracts mean nothing today. I'm always astonished by contracts. It's like if I break the contract, well, I'll just pay the fee. It's whatever. So contracts don't mean that much. Uh, commitments. I love this about our society. And some of you, this is like, this, this is the shoe that, that fits your foot. You need to go ahead and put it on. Because you don't want to be, um, break a commitment, you just don't commit at all. That's our way of circumventing it. Right? Well, I never committed. I said I might show up. <laughs> I said we would see what might happen. I said if seven things went right, I might follow through with what. Like you build in so many like prerequisites that it's, you're never held to anything. So you're noncommittal. I think noncommittal actually is also an issue. Right? It's, it's, it's never like stepping out because... If, you're, if, you're, if you can't ever commit to anything, then how do you commit to anything? How do you commit to Jesus? How do you commit to your spouse? How do you commit to, to anything? And it, but it's just a way of circumventing things. Jesus says this, verse 37, let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. All right. Come on, Jesus, just lay off a little bit. I want, the, I want the kind Jesus, you know. I want the grace-filled Lord, you know. He says, no, let your yes be yes. Jesus raises the standard for us, and he says that your everyday yes and no's are just as binding as the oaths or the big promises that you make. Your yes or no, your I'm going to do this is just as binding as whether you did some sort of long-winded oath. Why? We're going to get to that because there's evil involved. But I like to think that as a result of the way that we live, that our reputation should speak for ourselves when it comes to saying yes or no. That people would know that whenever you say you're going to do something, that they know based upon your lifestyle that you're going to actually follow through. How great would that be? Come on, y'all. Imagine that. Imagine all of your friends... Like, you could actually believe what they said. I mean, I'm not saying that all, some of your friends don't. But I'm just saying, you know, from time to time, there's like that, there's that buddy. There's the buddy in the group that whenever he's like, oh, dude, I'm going to, I'm going to, da, 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 da. everybody goes, okay. <laughs> like, yeah. Why? Because that guy's reputation is one, he, he talks a lot. He says a lot, but there's no commitment to it. There's no follow through. And uh, I have a question for you that I want you to ask yourself right now. Don't, you don't have to answer out loud. But can people take me at my word? Can people take me at my word? If I say I'm going to do something, does my family take me at my word? Now, I would like to be able to stand before you and say that my family could always take me at my word. But I have a problem. My problem is that... Um, 
I notice a lot of things around the house. My wife notices a lot of things around the house. And, um, and she's like, hey, you know, this, this, we need to fix this. And I'm like, yeah, we need to fix that. <laughs> and um, that list is getting long, man. <laughs> In my defense, though, I, let me explain why. Because when you start a project, right, come on, guys. Like you start a project, and it's going to be a simple project. But then, like, the thing that you want to do, it broke. Or you don't have the tool. Or you literally have no clue what you're doing. And one of those takes place, and then it, it just gets passed on to the next Saturday. But then your buddy, your buddy calls you, and he invites you to play in a golf tournament on that Saturday. And so you're not able to, to do it that Saturday. You have to bump it back to the next Saturday. But you forgot that... You had, a, that was, you had a late Friday night, you know, thing going on. And so you had to sleep late that Saturday. And uh, so then it was Saturday afternoon. But then the kids wanted to go do it, literally anything. And you're like, yeah, let's go do that instead. And before you know it, your wife doesn't believe that you're ever going to fix anything or do what you say you're going to do. I'm just being honest with you all today, just being really transparent with you. I thought that I would, I would take the first shot, the arrow... Just take it for you guys out there who that, if, if that helps anyone. It's normal though, right? No, it's not normal. It's, it's really just bad. It's not good character. But it's also sometimes you don't know how to do it. Sometimes you just don't know how to fix it. You just don't know. You literally have no idea. I'm a musician. Like that's what I did like growing up. Like guys like worked on cars. I played my guitar for five hours a day, all right? I don't know how to fix some things. Anyway. None of that was in my notes. <laughs> and now I have to cut something else. <laughs> but, you know, every now and then you have to just be really honest about life. But, <clears throat> but take that scenario and play it out, man, in a lot of different ways and in more meaningful ways. Sometimes we have good reasons, but the reasons, they're not really that good of a reason. And maybe it's we procrastinate. Maybe it's we actually have a lack of follow-through because we have a lack of an ability to follow through with our commitments and, and our yes all of a sudden is not a yes and our no is not a no. And then people begin to not be able to trust us and then things begin to expand from there. He says anything more than this comes from evil. The fact that we feel the need to swear on something, I swear I'm going to do this at all, is first of all because there is evil in our world and there's evil as a result of sin. Now, we go back to the Garden of Eden a whole lot because we have to, because it reminds us of where sin entered and where things were broken. There was complete truth and honesty in the Garden between God and Adam and Eve. It was just, just, they, it was just open. It was easy. They were, it was transparent. And then the enemy comes in, and I, and I always find the story of Satan so intriguing because we just talked about this last Wednesday night in the Hot Topics class a little bit, but um, the enemy, all he did was insert reasonable doubt. Did God really say this? Did he really mean that? You know, and that's all he had to do and sort of just let it fall out from there. He didn't come in a very intimidating way. He just came in a very uh, just kind of benign way. 
easy, it was, it was easy to hear. It, it made logical sense. Well, maybe, he, maybe that's not exactly, maybe I heard it wrong. And he inserts deceit. And from that time on, it just has begun to spread. And, you know, I think we can also put into to this the spirit of deception in regards to, like, white lies. And, and uh, my favorite thing is, is the, the old bending of the truth. Well, I just, well, it wasn't a complete. It wasn't a lie. I just, I just left some really important information out, you know? It starts like that, but that comes from evil. But isn't it amazing that the fact that we even feel like we need to swear on something or, or give an oath to something, it is just, it's just because of the fact that we have evil in our world. Now, there's three things really quickly before we kind of move on from these scriptures I want you to get. Because if not take it, if we take some of these things too far, then whenever he says don't take an oath at all, we'll take that and say, I, I never promise anything. I never take a vow or an oath. But we read the Bible and, and many oaths are made. And so it's, it's not like don't ever make a promise or don't ever make an oath. But the three things that I want you to remember, remember is this. It's better not to make a vow than to make one you don't intend to keep. Sometimes you can make a, a vow in the moment because it's the more convenient thing to do, knowing that you don't have the means or the intention of following through. Jesus is saying it'd be better not to say anything at all. Number two would be that vows shouldn't be made on just any occasion, but should be reserved for important things. All right, because you imagine two people getting married and uh, the wife says her vows and the husband's like, eh, <laughs> I don't want to make any, any oaths or vows. You know, I'm just, it's scriptural. <laughs> no, that's not, <laughs> that's not the approach that we're going to take there. Vows were still made in the Bible, but they should be made for, for meaningful things, right? Like we, we're going to have to sign contracts, y'all. Okay, we have to do those things, but, but just go into it knowing that it actually matters. And also God is present. And also we must try to keep our word in every situation. Try to keep our word in every situation. In a society that, a society that has sort of made it normal for people to lie and it's not a big deal, like it's just whatever. Or how many of y'all know whenever like a big, you know, famous person, they get confronted on something, the first statement they always make is always a statement of denial. Like you just know it's going to happen. And what do we all say? Let, just give it some time. Just wait. We'll wait till the detectives, detectives get done. We'll wait till, like, give it a few days. And a lot of times that person then comes and says, well, okay, I did do it. And we're like, I knew it. Now, what does that do over time? It erodes our trust in situations like that. It also erodes our trust with one another. But Jesus is saying this, and I think this is the big ideal, idea. As disciples of Jesus, we are to live a life of integrity in our words and commitments. Guys, it really doesn't matter how society approaches living a life of integrity. It, it actually, it really, it doesn't matter for you. Not if you're a disciple of Jesus. So if you've got friends who live lives and they just, they lie or they're full of deceit, the way that they live their life should not matter in regards to uh, informing the way that you live your life. Because you live differently. You have a different set of standards. You live, you, you have a different God, right, that you serve. It's not the God of self, but it's, it's our God, the God of the Bible that we serve. It's Jesus. And so he's saying that as a follower of him, this is what it looks like to follow him, that you are committed to what you say you'll do. Proverbs 10.9 says this, whoever walks in integrity 
walks securely, but he who makes his ways crooked will be found out. This word integrity is a picture of completeness or wholeness. It's, it also is, it, it, to me, I think of it as being sturdy. Okay, this building is sturdy. It has integrity. And our lives are supposed to have integrity, strength, that it is secure. Secure in Christ, but also in the way that we live, we build a secure life. And he's saying, whoever walks in integrity has a secure life. But those who don't, they have crooked paths. Their life is unstable. It's unstable. And for some of you, you're, you're like, that actually perfectly illustrates my life right now. My life feels very unstable, and sometimes it's because we're not walking with integrity. But I, I want to let you know that living a life of integrity is easier than living a life of deceit and dishonesty. It, it's actually easier. In the moment, whenever things are coming down to it and you have to say truth or a lie, it feels like this is the easy way out. But you guys know that every lie stacks. And if you lie once, you're going to have to lie again to cover up that lie. And then you're going to have to lie about those two lies and then three. And before you know it, you, you lay your head down at night and you just have to like remember all of the lies that you have going on because it's so complicated. That is not a stable life. You live in fear of being found out. And then you're trapped. And then when do you ever come clean? What, what day do you finally say, okay, today is the day? You, you typically don't. You swallow it. And that sin in your life has so much power because sin has power in silence. And so you just internalize it and it eats you from the inside out. But eventually you'll be found out. Jesus desires for us to walk in truth. That's his desire for us. But not just so we walk in truth, right? It's, he's like, if you walk in truth, it's for your good. <laughs> this is a better way of, of living. And it also, it honors God. So it's these things together that, and we know, even sitting in, in a service like this, you guys know that it's better to live a, a life of truth than not to. Like we know that cognitively, but yet at times a lot of us still stumble. I want to wrap up today by giving you three things about becoming a person of truth. And this is how I want you guys to take this. I want you to take this in a way that's very practical and I want you to actually apply it to your life. Because this is something I know, maybe not all of you, not all of you, but, but there's a good amount of you who, you find yourself somewhere in this. You do. Whether indirectly or directly, sometimes you are the one that actually is speaking the thing that's not true, and you're creating the situation, but other times you're just a part of it. You're, you're a part of a family that, that operates in deception. There's, you know it, everybody around you is lying, everybody's telling this person this thing, and, and this person's telling this person this thing, and, and everybody's all over the place, and you're, you're in this cloud of deception. And how do you affect that environment, right? First off, I say to use a lot of wisdom, right? But, but how, do we, how do we begin this process? How do we become people of truth? Number one is this, is that we want to confess our sin, Confess our sin. How many of you love confession? 
couple of you, I, honestly, we should all be raising our hand. And I think that's one of the, like that question actually, I didn't mean for it to be that impactful or that big of a deal. We have an aversion to confession and the Bible says to confess your faults one to another. At what point is not confessing one to another also sin? At what point? But no, we internalize. Did you know that confession leads to life? Confession leads to life. But we have it in our head that, oh, don't say it. Just, just, just. Right? And it, it's the very thing that leads to more deception, more pain, and, and just a life to, of, of living in shackles. Confess your sin would be a great place to start. I'm talking like all of it. I'm talking like if you got something with your spouse, just like, just air it out. Maybe pray before you air it out. <laughs> but, but let them know. Your friend that you've got years of baggage with and, and, and it's, you lied 10 years ago and every time y'all hang out, it's still lingering over your head. Let them know. No, see, where we're at as a society is this. It would be better just to not bring up the past. And I don't believe that. There might be some things that's water under the bridge and you don't want to be nitpicky. But some of you, you've got boulders in your marriage. You've got boulders in relationships. You've got, you've got a parachute attached to your back and you're trying to run this race of, of faith and, and you're convicted all the time. The Bible says to confess your faults one to another. If you've offended someone or someone's offended you, that you actually go to them in humility with grace and all of those other fruits of the spirit. I'm not talking about like, oh, I'm gonna tell you the truth. No. If you feel that, you are lacking grace because the Bible all of, teaches us grace and truth. So you'd be miss, missing that point. But I just know that there's a lot of people who have a lot of things, a lot of baggage. And uh, the Bible says that the truth will set you free. And that truth is in Jesus, ultimately, the, ult the ultimate truth. But I think truth in our daily lives is also uh, leads, to, leads to life. Number two, repent and invite the Holy Spirit to help you begin to live righteously. Repent. That means stop doing what you were doing. That means if you've been bending the truth, if you've been lying, if you've been kind of that person that nobody can, can trust, that you stop doing that and you begin to be truthful. Like even if it doesn't make sense to everyone else around you, I think a lot about the business world. You know, I've got friends in business and, you know, read books and all this kind of stuff and blah, blah, blah. And, and I, it's funny because you get this air of like, you can't get ahead if you're actually an honest business person. Like you can't actually be truly successful unless you do that. And, and first off, I'd like to question what success actually is. That's a, that's a big thing. Uh, I was watching a podcast this past week and, and it was a lot around that. Um, about what is successful. We have to question that, but, but repent, turn from those things and begin to live righteously. The biblical word also is sanctification, this process of sanctification where we repent and we continue to move closer and closer to be more like Jesus. And number three is this, and this is the last thing, is to repair your reputation over time. That's right. Your reputation might be trash right now, but I'm telling you something if you repent and you begin to live right and you begin to right those wrongs, 
It's amazing. Your, re- your reputation will heal. The Bible says this, that a reputation is, you, you should desire a good repu- rep- uh, reputation over money, over gold and silver. It is more valuable. It'd be better to live in a little small house and, you know, not make a lot of money, but yet have good rapport with people than to have a giant whatever, you know, whatever your thing is, a house or a condo or a, whatever it is, but yet your reputation's trash. Right? You lay your head down on your pillow at night, you can actually sleep well because your conscience is clear. And, and for disciples of Jesus, what I'm talking about matters. For people who are not followers of Jesus, I'm saying something that makes absolutely no sense. Dude, you got away with it three years ago. Like, don't bring it up. You know, it's, it's gone. I don't know. I think you need to pray about that. I think you need to pray and ask God whether, whether or not you should just, you know what I'm saying, just, just let it go. It might be a root that, that's in your life. I don't know. So today was sort of a simple message, but simple is also very convicting and also very countercultural because of the culture that we live in. But this is a life that we're going to live. Amen? Let me pray for you. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word. God, that you cut through all of the things in our life. You cut through our emotions. You cut through our thought. You cut through our justifications of why we do or say things. You, you, you just get through all of that, God, and you speak directly to our hearts. And so, God, I pray that today what we have heard, what we have read, that, Lord, where, where it matters, where, where it applies to our life, that, God, you would give us the grace and the power to apply those things to our life and to begin to walk in righteousness, to walk in holiness, God. Lord, ultimately, we want to represent you well. Whenever we're in front of people, whenever we're alone, God, that we would represent you well. And God, I'm praying right now for each of us. God, right now, I pray for those specifically who have things in their life that, have, have, that are still covered, things that are unconfessed. And God, I'm praying right now for them, that you would give them grace, that you would begin to soften their hearts. And Lord, that you would help them to live a life of truth. God, to use wisdom and how to approach those things, what it looks like to confess, what it looks like to get things right. Give them wisdom and grace to make good decisions that will lead to life. But God, ultimately, I pray for them right now that you would begin to take them on the journey of releasing them from the conviction and the condemnation that they've been living in for many years. God, that your truth and living in truth would truly set them free. God, we thank you right now as believers. We thank you for you, that you are truth. And God, we can, we can boldly come to the throne of grace knowing that we will find truth there. So God, I pray for each person here who is far from you, who doesn't know you. And Lord, I pray that, that you would begin to bring truth to their life, that you are God, that Jesus rose from the grave, that he died on the cross for their sin. God, I pray that you would make that a reality in their life. Bring truth in every situation. Give us strength to walk this out, God. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Come on, look, I want to encourage you. In the next couple of minutes, what we're going to do is we're going to sing a song. And we're going to worship God. And this is the part of the service where we can sort of disconnect. All right, we check our phones, we get our purse ready, whatever the case is, and we're like ready to go. The way that we do services here at, at Northwood is we're, we're not done because right now we're in a prayerful moment. We've just heard the word of God. And I think it's so important for us 
to meditate, to, to let the Spirit of God deal with us in another level. And I want you to ask these questions. God, what are you speaking to me? And Lord, how do you want me to respond? What are you speaking to me? How do you want me to respond? And some of you are sitting next to the person right now that you need to respond to, right? Some of you, before the day's out, you need to, you need to respond. But God, let God speak to you in these moments. I've said a lot of words, but let's let him speak.